Hello and welcome to another World Podcast with me, Gareth A. Davis. I'm here in London and I am speaking to my old friend, Big Slow, who is in the United States. Big Slow, Luke Barnett, how are you? I'm very well, very well. I'm over in uh, California, enjoying the sunshine. Are you still on that big yacht you were you were training on the, or, or living on while you were training for the last camp? I, I am. I'm just drinking my coffee. Uh, there's a few people on wakeboards or... I don't know what they are like. They're riding past me in the water at the moment. I don't know. You couldn't explain what they are. Like bodyboards or something. So, but what you're basically admitting is you might be living the surfers, fighters lifestyle, but you actually don't know what all the surfing paraphernalia really is. <laughs> I haven't got a clue. It's, it's, they're not quite surfing. They're like old ladies on, like standing up on, on surfboards using a paddle. To oh, yeah, they're on granny. They're called granny boards, aren't they? So you're having your coffee on the yacht and it's grab a granny hour, is it? <laughs> yeah, 12 o'clock in the afternoon here in California. <laughs> Mind you, I'm, su- I'm sure the grannies in California have got the, the same um, bodies as the new biles in Scarborough over here. <laughs> yeah, they're not too bad. With a tan, yeah, um, exactly. But anyway, I don't know why we're talking like that, because you're getting married in August. Let's talk about the important things first. Um, um, you, you begin captivity in August. I do. I, 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 I'm attaching a chain to my ankle, and I will never be let free. So uh, August 26th, I'll be a married man. But you're very lucky that Lucy, the lucky lady, is um, a great person to have chained to you, frankly. <laughs> yeah, good way of putting it. <laughs> well, look, um, obviously plans are moving forward for that, and I wish you well. I haven't had a chance to publicly for your wedding in August, but um, obviously um, your fight fell through a few weeks ago, but uh, I know the story. I mean, I don't know if everyone listening will know the story, but you know, you, you, you wanted another fight as soon as possible. I know you might even want two fights before you get married in August. Um, you know, you, you, you spoke to Joe Silver, didn't you? And you said, look... The Philippines card's coming up. That's been announced. What about me and Mark Munoz? Yeah, I mean, um, Clint Hester broke his foot. Me and Clint were, were, you know, looking to have a very, very, very good fight in Virginia. I was like, super excited about it. And I was about six weeks into a training camp, working my ass off every day to make sure I was ready for Clint, who's a, a pretty dangerous guy. And then when he, I heard that he broke his foot, um, I spoke to Joe. Joe gave me a call. And we were talking about possible replacements. And it was about three or four weeks away from the Virginia card, and it was very, very hard to find someone. I know they find they find a lot of people, but Joe, they've got 585 people in the UFC now in the roster, and Joe was like, I can't just sign someone to fight you right now. It needs to be a prospect. It needs to be someone we want, all the rest of it. Um, he had a couple of guys in, in mind. He contacted those guys, and they didn't want to take the fight because it was short notice, because they had things going on, whatever it was. Um, so he rang me back. And he said, oh, listen, I can't find anyone. And I said, well, you know, I, I don't mind about waiting. How about six weeks? They, like you said, they've got Mark Minnes in the Philippines. That's a fight I really want. Um, and it's a fight I've asked for a couple of times. They've said to me, uh, you know, Mark's lost three fights in a row, and he's not looking great. Is that why you're, you're picking on him? And I'm like, no. You know, I've, I've wanted to fight Mark Minnes for a long time. He's a big name, and he's a wrestler. Um, 
and it's good for you know me being from the UK trying to, to showcase my wrestling skills and, and fight a high level guy like him. So you know I've been after the fight for a long time, and the opportunity just happened to be there with the Philippines. Um, and I said to Joe, "Let's do it. Let's do the Philippines." And he was like, "Well, I don't know. Let me think about it." And then the next day he gave me a call and said, "Right, it's done. You're fighting Mark Munoz in, in ten weeks in the Philippines. You better get ready." Um, so you know, although the Quint Hester was a bit of a it was a bad couple of days, the drop in the Quint Hester fight, it turned out to be a good thing. What happens then when you find out, you know, that kind of notice that that you haven't got a fight now? Do you, do you do you get some kind of help and remuneration from the UFC as a result because you've gone through most of a camp? Um, it doesn't normally work like that. I mean, it depends on the situation. In this situation, you know, it was, it was almost my suggestion to, to cancel the fight. Um, as in, I wanted to fight a little bit later against Mark. I, I saw, I, I didn't really, you know, it, it wasn't like I lost out. I saw a gain from the situation, so I, I don't think so. Um, but in, in the past, I don't know if, if fighters, usually it's like down to the individual fighter and their manager to try and help that situation. I haven't heard of anyone, you know, having help from the UFC in that sort of place, but usually they get a replacement. They, they, they'll do everything in their power to get you a replacement fight, so you do have to fight. Um, it's very rare that they cancel fights. And, and mine was a rare opportunity, but it turned into a thing for me. The UFC's uh, VIP tickets for that event, Luke, have already sold out. I'm sure you're aware of this. Yep. Um, you know, it's at the, uh, the, the Pase City in the Philippines. There have been some very famous fights there in the past, of course. Um, and, uh, you know, the thriller in Manila. Are you going to make it a thriller in Manila? Are you going to be the new gorilla? <laughs> That's the plan. You know, it's, like you said, there's been huge fights over there. It's, it's the first ever event in the Philippines. The Filipino fans are, are crazy. They love mixed martial arts. They love fighting out there. Um, so it's, it's like... It's a huge opportunity for me, and it's a great thing to be doing. It's a great experience to have, in, in not just in fighting, but in my life. You know, um, I've always wanted to go to the Philippines. I was out in in Southeast Asia seven years ago, and I spent seven months in Thailand, tramping around. I went I went all over the place. I went to Malaysia and Laos and all that sort of stuff, doing the old traveling. And um, I always wanted to go to the Philippines, but they get a lot of storms um, and typhoons and all that sort of stuff. So every time I tried to fly there the flights were cancelled because of typhoons. Um, so I never got to go. So now seven years later, I get to go there and I get to fight you know, the biggest Filipino name in the UFC. And it's going to be a, a huge, huge event for me. And, and, and obviously, as you know, obviously Mark has, um, you know, has tried to get his career back on track. Um, he, he's had a bit of a tough time of late, of course, with the losses to Lyoto Machida, Gegard Musasi, and of course, Rowan Canero just recently where... Um, the referee from, from eight inches away had real s trouble spotting, looking into his eyes, that he had f ocular fixation when he was being choked out. Um, you know, I mean, it was a peculiar night that night. You've got to, I suppose, be very wary that Mark Munoz is a top-level guy. Yes, he's, he's ageing now, we know that, but he's also he, he's going to be coming at you on the rebound in many ways. You know, if you think about what you just said, he's coming off three losses. One of them is to Laio Temichida, one of them is to Gegard Musasi, which are two of the very best. I mean, they've proved it time and time again. Gegard's on the way up there now um, and has had some great fights. But there's, there's no, there's nothing wrong with those. Like, I was there for the Machida fight. Um, I think I actually fought the same card. 
fight, you know, went back and forth, back and forth. Took Gegard down with some great takedowns. Looked pretty good in certain bits and not so good in other parts. And then he's just had this last fight, which was a bump in the road. You know, it was not a great performance. There's no way of putting it. A bit shell-shocked and didn't have a great performance. But he still is one of, like you said, a, it's, it's a huge fight. He's a very, very dangerous guy. Uh, and he is good everywhere. Um, you know, he's a national champion wrestler. Has, um, has shown that in the UFC, has been taking out some of the, the greatest guys. He's beat people like Damien Meyer. You know, he's a huge name. And um, I'm not taking this fight any lighter. The fact that people are saying, oh, he's 37, he's going to retire. Yeah, he's going to retire in the Philippines. He's, you know, he's home away from home. He wants to put on the best fight he can possibly can. I think we'll see a very, very dangerous Mark Munoz who wants to go out on his shield and have a great fight. I don't think we're going to see a laboured version. Um, I think he's going to put everything he has into this fight because it will be his last fight. Now, now, as you say, you know, you're going to get married in August. So if if you've got you've got you've got Manila would be, um, of course, it's when is it now? Manila is the May 16th. Yeah, yeah, May the 16th. So you've said to me or you've hinted that you might. If you can, if you're not injured after that, and you've got some momentum, you get the win, you'd quite like to fight on the Scotland card as well, the first ever event in Glasgow at the Hydro. Yeah, I mean, that was that was my plan all along. My plan was to obviously fight Virginia, uh, to beat Clint, and then to take a fight in Scotland. I would have had a per- the perfect amount of time uh, to prepare for my fight, come back to Europe and come back to the UK and fight in Glasgow. Another first-time event, so uh, that would be great as well. But now with the change to the Philippines, you know, it puts me back six weeks. There's a, I think it's an eight-week gap. I think I think uh, it's May 16th, and I think it's July 18th, Scotland, I think. Um, so, you know, it's only eight weeks, but I'm coming off. I've already had a six-week training camp. I've now got another nine weeks in the Philippines, so it would have been a huge amount of time. I've been training, you know, very, very hard for this fight against Mark. So if, if I come out on skate and I win impressively, which is the plan, uh, I'm looking to get straight back in. And I'll either be in Scotland, uh, which is what I would like to do, or they've just announced a card in San Diego, which you can do a card out here where I'm staying, where I'm training, um, on July 15th in San Diego. So one of, I'll be targeting one of those two cards to try and get straight back in. And then I have my wedding. I'm getting married in August. Um, so obviously I'll have to take the whole of August off. I'll have a bit of a honeymoon, take some time off, and I'll be back in the gym. So I probably won't be fighting then until late November, December. Um, so I need to get the two in before the... Uh, um, and, and so how are you going to do it with the Philippines? Are you going to travel out um, a couple of weeks before the, the event so you can acclimatise? Because obviously we are looking at a totally different different time zone there. Almost 16 hours, I think, difference from where you are in America, which obviously is a huge shift for the body. Yeah, it's, it is exactly 16 hours. It's a big old shift. Um, I've already booked my flights. I leave on the 4th of May, so I'll be out there. It actually takes two days to get there because the flight's about 18, 18, between 18 and 20 hours. Like you said, 16 hour difference. So you add that all together by the time you actually arrive. And you, you know, it takes like two hours, uh, two days to get there. Um, so I'll actually arrive on the, on the, the 6th, which is 10 days prior to the flight. So I'll be there 10 days before, um, which is enough time for my body to, to climatize. I'll keep my weight nice and low. Um, so I don't have to worry about putting on weight on the flight and all that sort of stuff from traveling. You do have to worry about it. That's another thing with Mark. You know, we've seen his weight wasn't great in his last fight. Whenever he travels away, his weight's not great. You know, so he'll have to struggle with that weight again. Um, so I'm making sure that's something I'm on top of. 
and I'll be in Manila on the 6th, and I'm staying out there till the 29th. So I'll be out there for a full month. Um, going to spend a bit of time out in the Philippines after the party. Enjoy myself for a week, 10 days, come straight back home, start training, into my next camp to fight Scotland or San Diego, whatever. You, 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 know, you know you're going to be big in Pinoy, aren't you? Because you've read Jonathan Swift, Gulliver's Travels, haven't you? Yeah. I have. Now, now at six foot six and a middleweight... You do realise it's going to be a little bit like Gulliver's Travels in Lilliput when you step off that plane and into Manila, don't you? <laughs> they, you are, they are going to see you as some kind of giant freak. Do you, do you realise that? I, I do realise this. I feel, um, I mean, someone I train with college now, Brandon Vera, has obviously got good ties in the Philippines. And I was talking to him about this. And he's obviously a big dude, Brandon. Yeah. He was like, yeah, people are going to look at you like you're some sort of crazy man and then you're a monster when you get off the plane uh, but he said they'll they'll show you the uh, a good time out in the Philippines yeah but the, 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 the funny the funny very thing very is very no they will be they're beautiful people the funny thing is people are going to think you are your monster people think that of you in Cambridgeshire because I live near there as well and uh, when you walk around in Cambridgeshire they think the same thing so maybe maybe you're used to it anyway it's just the years that's the people <laughs> well um, look, the other thing, of course, and it will be a big thing when you arrive in Manila, the entire country will either be in rapture. What day did you say you arrived there? On the... I arrive on the, the 5th or the 6th. Okay, that's a Tuesday or Wednesday, okay. Now, three days before that, and I say, the country will either be in rapture or in mourning, because 100 million of them three days earlier, will have watched Manny Pacquiao in Las Vegas against Floyd Mayweather. Now, as you know, the entire country of the Philippines, and it's not just an MMA or a boxing thing, the entire country, the entire race, Filipino race, grinds to a halt. The, the, even, even the rebel wars going on between the Christians and the Muslims, they have an armistice and a truce whenever Manny Pacquiao fights. So... It's worth you knowing what's happened in Las Vegas that weekend. Yeah, well, yeah, I was planning on being there um, in Las Vegas. Well, even if I can't get a ticket, I was planning on just being there to, to witness it uh, in some extent. But I don't think I'll be out to now with the fight. And uh, I, I'm going to be aware of what happens to get the win, I think, because then I think people will be a lot happier when I... Um, you know, so maybe I'll wear a Manny Pacquiao t-shirt when I turn up. A Manny Pacquiao t-shirt would barely cover your nipples, I think. That's the problem. <laughs> but listen, are, are you into... I mean, I know that a lot of you guys, obviously, in mixed martial arts, are very keen on some of the great boxers as well. Um, does it stagger you when you hear that this fight can gross 350 million US dollars? It's an insane fight. And boxing has got such a long lineage compared to the UFC. I mean, the, the fan base is... It's growing in the UFC, but I still think that boxing does a lot of things right, that MMA does a lot of things wrong in that extent. You know, just the money that they can gross, the, the sponsors that they can bring in, and the people that are paying attention to it compared to the UFC is, is completely different. It's a different landscape, yeah, definitely. If, if, yeah, it's a different landscape, but if, if, magnitude, if we had something like that in the UFC, you know, would we get close to 350 million? I, I don't know. Not at the moment. It's not, it hasn't. It hasn't. See what at the moment, MMA or the UFC has not. What the, the the 
what happens with a big boxing uh, match, and obviously I've covered several of these in my career, is that it truly crosses over so that every casual sports fan out there has a passing interest in it. It becomes part of the... You know, it, it, it's what MMA may have one day. It's what there is a potential of doing with the likes of Ronda Rousey at the moment, or when Brock Lesnar came into the UFC, it generated that kind of interest. But... Um, there's still not the widespread, because, as you say, because boxing has this 150-year history where it's in the Olympics, it's in the Commonwealth Games, it's, it, it's, 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 there's a library of books about it already, a library load of books. It's got that standing that the, the crossover fan, uh, the, casual, the casual boxing fan, the casual sports fan will take an interest and go, oh, what's all this fuss about then? In some ways... Mixed martial arts is so complex as a sport, it's harder to understand than two men with boxing gloves in a ring. Do you know what I mean? A hundred percent. That's exactly the understanding for, you know, you can be a football fan and understand boxing. You know, to an extent, you might not understand everything, but you understand you hit the guy, you pulls down and you win. Yeah. Whereas, like you said, with mixed martial arts, you have to be an educated fan to really understand it. Um, so even like you said, that Ronda, the casual sports fan doesn't know what an armbar is. So it's, it's still very difficult for her to generate that buzz. Yes, she's in the movies and she's got that, that buzz around her, but within the sport, you know, when you when you talk about boxing, like said Manny Pacquiao, anyone can watch Manny Pacquiao fight and they understand what's going on. Um, and they, you know, they just want to read the headline and see what happens. They don't, most of the fans, but it's going to be a long time before we have that in the UFC. I, I completely agree. And, and also, and this is a conversation I was having with a, a mixed martial arts and fight legend the other day, and, 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 I, and I agree with this. I'm not going to name him right now, but and I, I actually I've got to say I agree with this. He said to me, um, and it's coming out somewhere else, so I don't want to kind of ruin who it was for the moment, but um, he says things like, when, you're, when there's a fighter sitting on another fighter's chest and elbows are raining down into the guy on the bottom or the girl on the bottom's face... It doesn't look like pure fighting. It doesn't look like a martial art to me. And I would like that outlawed in the sport. When, um, and do you know what? There are, there are certain things that, um, when, when two fighters are on the ground, sometimes there are elbows being thrown. You know you, yourself, the elbows are the most brutal way of cutting someone in a fight. Um, and you can get an awful lot of leverage when you're on the ground as well. Um, you know, a, a, a knee across someone's arm to pin them in a certain way. He was saying, why don't we outlaw these things from the sport? Because to the people coming to the sport, to the people who see the sport, it alienates them. It's very messy looking. It doesn't look like a fight. And, and you know what? Sometimes I watch aspects of a fight, Luke, on the ground... And it's not wrestling, and it's not jujitsu, and it's not judo, but it's something in the middle of all those things, and it's not a martial art. And I, and I say that not in criticism of the sport or what people do, but it's just, it's a scrap at that point. Do you know what I mean? I don't know what your view you know, is on that. I don't know what your view is on that. For me, that's what makes martial arts is. You know, and the thing that's what we just described is it's not this, it's not that. That's what mixed martial arts is. And I think the use, I, I completely disagree on the other way around. I, I know it could be, I understand from the fans' perspective, like you say, for the casual fans, 
can be brutal, it can alienate people. Yeah. And, uh, I feel like MMA is trying to use every single part of your body in every single way. It's, it, it, it is about that. You have your elbows, you have your knees, you have your positions on the ground, you can do this, you can do that. And that's, that's what martial arts is. Martial arts is being able to use your body in any way, in any form. Um, well, know, no, no, it's not. It's to... not because you can't headbutt someone on the ground. You can't knee them in the head when you're on the ground. You can't kick them in the head when you're on the ground. So, those things are out. Within the UFC and mixed martial arts in other countries, like one FC, they yeah. allow those things. To yeah. Do you uh, think I'm they should be allowed then? Do you yeah. think they should be allowed? I, well, you know, I don't know. I think martial arts is martial arts. It depends how hardcore you want to go with it. If you're trying to change it for the fans. You know, then maybe it should be changed. Because for the fighters, band, it, it, there's so many different outlooks and aspects to it. But I think, I think they've taken away like the things you just said, which makes you complete. And then they've they've kept in the things that you can accept, and that's how I look at it. I think the, the rule set that they have now, um, I think, because obviously doing the sport, if you take away elbows, there are some organisations in the world that take away elbows. There's a few in England that do, and Fighting on the ground becomes so stagnant and boring sometimes mm. because people just hold wrists, mm. can't twist into elbows, you can't, you know, and then fans complain about that. Oh, well, now they can't elbow each other, they're just holding them on the ground, you know, so it's it's a complex thing. It's much more complicated than people know because if, I can't, if I'm on top of you and I can't elbow you and you hold both my wrists, all, the, all it becomes then is a battle to grab wrists. Like yeah, wrists, yeah. yeah. Wrist. Mm. You know, and that's just, it's hand fighting, they're just fighting hands, and then it takes away any damage, you'll be on the ground for three minutes doing that, it happens, and it's, then you think having mounted position, where I'm on top now, doesn't become such a dominant position, because if you grab both my wrists, so you can start having referees stand people up on the mount, because it gets boring, which has never happened before, and start the rules now, you know, it changes a lot of dynamics to the sport, and I think elbows is a great dynamic for the sport, I think it obviously, I'm uh, you're, you're talking elbows, specifically like, elbows on the ground, though, Luke. Elbows on the ground. You're speaking about, yeah. On the, yeah, on the ground. Yeah. On the ground. yeah, I yeah. Think if you look at John Jones, um, one of his biggest weapon, weapons is elbows on the ground. If you took that away from him, you know he's got such long limbs on the ground, and if you if he's in your guard and he wants to strike, he can elbow you from that position, and that that is a great weapon for him. And you're completely taking that away from his arsenal and a lot of other other fighters. Um, but I understand your point that it alienates people people aren't used to seeing it, it I think televisually Luke I think it's just I think it's just when you look at it televisually and you look at it if you take a step backwards and look you think oh. and it's not because it just people will eventually get used to it when they see it enough of course but we're still in such early stages that's all and I think that's all sometimes I just look at it I have a moment when I think I know how many fights I've seen. I know how you know how many UFCs I've watched over the last ten years. I know how many I've been to. I know how many men and women I've spoken to afterwards, literally afterwards, and they're absolutely fine. But in the moment where you look at it on a fifty-six-inch screen TV at home, um, and people are seeing it for the second or third or fourth time, I just I just have a slight concern sometimes that. 
they're watching it and they're thinking it's amazing, but someone else is coming along and they're going, oh my God, but look at that bit. They're just sitting on their chest, pummeling them. Listen, we know people get out of that position as well. It just It's just sometimes, and I'm not talking about sanitizing the sport for TV. You certainly could never have that in the Olympics, for example, Luke, because they wouldn't allow it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the amateur rule set, that's what happens. The amateur rule set is much harder. They take out the elbows. They take, they, they, that's what they do. If we were looking towards Olympic sport, it would be the amateur rules that we have. Mm, Similar mm. to boxing, how they, they make some changes. But for me, I, was like, I know what you're talking about. I remember the first time I ever saw elbows on the ground. I remember it. I can still remember it. And it was Mark Kerr. And he didn't just yeah. elbow, but he would get a mounted crucifix position. And he would elbow with me at the same time. Mm. People back then. And it was frightening, you know, when you first see it, it is, it is a frightening thing. Um, especially Mark, uh, I mean, he was a beast of a man that did it. I mean, he, was, really, he was a smashing machine. Uh, the smashing machine, exactly. I don't know if anyone's seen that, if you've seen the film. I've, 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 I have eulogised about that time and again and said to everyone, watch the smashing machine, watch Choke um, with the Gracies, watch, um, watch Fightville with Dustin Poirier and the crew, uh, watch Like Water with Anderson Silva. Watch I Am Ali. Watch all these films. They're fantastic. But that one, The Smashing Machine, is raw, visceral, emotional. And that's just Mark Kerr and Mark Coleman. Yeah, that's it. It's deep. That movie, it is deep. McGuire was the one who introduced me to that movie. Yeah. I remember when I watched it. And it, was, it is deep. It's it, deep. It's scary to be honest. Everything about it, especially going as a new person, going into the sport, a new athlete, and I'm watching it, it was... I don't know. I think it's it's definitely a conversation to be had when you say talk about moving towards a bigger audience and the Olympics and those sort of things. It's very tough to do that when you do have the, the rule set that we have. But if you're talking about it as a fighter and as the fight fans are already involved and not understand the sport, you know, I, I don't think well, I don't think we'll ever see a change to the rule set. I don't think we'll ever take it up those away. Look, you mentioned John Jones just now. Top of your head, very quickly. First thing, I want to hear your first thoughts because you and I love to talk about these things. John Jones, Anthony Johnson, what happens? I think Anthony Johnson knocked him out in the first round. I think after watching him, I was there live to watch him beat Alexander Gustafsson. And I can see the two, I think you, you, you put this to me before, the two shadows or the two outlines of the men in the, in the octagon mm. moving back and forth. When I think about it, um, Rumble, if he does what he does, done to Alex, there's no way Jones. Just, Alex has got much better footwork, movement, um, and just uh, an understanding of the stand-up, stand-up game than John Jones does. John Jones has the athleticism, he has his range, he has all those things. But if Rumble can corner him and pounce like he did against Alex, I can see it being very, very similar. How are you going to beat... Um, I just want to, I want to move on after this little section, but how are you going to beat Mark Munoz? Are you going to use your, your range, your height and all those things and... and, and and, and, and presumably you don't want to get tangled up on the floor with Mark. We know one of his aspects is power, explosive power in the ground and pound. We haven't seen it for a little while, but we know he's got it there somewhere. Um, is it, is it, a, is it a, a range and length fight for you, this one? I mean, it's 100% the idea is to use my jab, to keep my distance, and to use knees, you know, to use... Yeah. But the fear of going into him with the knees on his entry, try and catch him on the way in, beat up the body, and just, I'm not afraid of the, this is the thing, I'm not afraid of wrestling with the guy, I'm not afraid to get involved with that. 
because you can see him with some of the guys that aren't great wrestlers. Tim Boats, he fought Tim Boats, Tim Boats took him down a couple of times. You know, he, if you're mixing it up and you're doing a too much martial artist, I'm not afraid of going on the ground with Mark Mendoza. I'm afraid of the, the ground pound, the, the Donkey Kong punches that he has. Um, you know, I, I think he has a lot of openings when he does those sort of things. I think people will be surprised that if he does take me down, which could happen, I think they'll be surprised at how quickly I stand back up and, and how I use it to my advantage. And I'm, that's what we're working. Working huge length, you use my jab, great distance, knees when he comes on the inside and then he could get to the ground. You know, do what I'm doing. I'm six to six with long limbs. I've got a good guard, good sweeps. I can stand up and I can capitalize on whatever I want. Um, but really, for me, for this fight, the way I win this fight is I bring the fight to Mark. You know, I have to really, really bring it to him and put pressure on him early and not let him settle because, you know, he, he's not had the greatest performances recently. I know he's questioning himself. And if I let him build in the fight, then it could be a tough fight for me. If I just come out, guns blazing, and I, I put it, put the fight on him straight away, uh, I think it'll be an early on him. I think I'll take him to victory in the first round. All right, last thing on the Philippines. I'm going to do a little quiz for you now because I'm going to help you with your knowledge of the Philippines, okay, right? Oh, so, right, um, what's the largest city in the capital, Manila, in the Philippines? What's it called? It's something city. Um, Makati City? No, one more guess. Manila City? No, it's Quezon City. So you're 0-1 there, and there's four more questions coming up. <laughs> is, is there, well, at least you'll know afterwards... There is blue and there is red on the Filipino national flag. But what is also on there which is yellow? What does it look like? A star. Yeah, a star or a sun. Okay, you're one and one. All right, to the nearest... I'm going to give you this, to the nearest hundred, okay? How many islands are there in the Philippines? In the... Uh, is the... 4,000 4, and... No, don't give me that answer yet. Go up a bit, but have a little bit more of a think. It's a lot more than you think. Uh, I said 4,107. You think it's more than that? More than that. Do you know what? You're so close in many ways. 41,000. No, it's 7,107. Yeah, which is which is staggering, really. Now, if you get a really big payday and you're over there, I do hope you're going to create the Barnett Island at some point. Okay. Um, look, <laughs> how? Be a very big payday. All right. I, I, you've been reading about the Philippines. T to the nearest million, what's the population of the Philippines? And you better not be googling on your phone right now. No, I'm not googling. I'm not googling. Uh, the population of the Philippines. Oh. No, it's 100 million, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Um, and there are about... Um, there are about 12 million Filipinos working abroad as well. Many are in the UK um, and, and America, of course. Now, um, name two countries who colonised the Philippines... No. Okay. 
the Philippines. Well, I'm going to tell you, okay? No, no, no. Give me a second. No, you're going to tell me, but let me have a. Okay. Well, you were wrong with the first answer, but I'm, you know, you're, 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 you're one three at the moment, so. Uh... I'm going to lose. I said this. This is, this is strange trivia to the art. I don't like it when Luke Barnett says I'm going to lose. That's not what a mixed martial, a professional mixed martial artist says. I, I, I don't know. I'm going to have to. Go on then, tell me Japan, I guess. I no, don't they, well, I don't know if, if, if in the very past history when they were Maharlikans many, many years ago, the warrior race, the Maharlikan, the, the warrior kings were called were called the Maharlikans, by the way. And and people think that many Pacquiao's descended from the Maharlikan tribe. Um, that, that or represents them in many ways in the way he is. And, you know, they call him the National Fist. Um, the Spanish, when they had their armadas, held yeah. many of the Philippine islands for a very long time. And then in, um, uh, I think it was 18, I think it was the 1890s um, from memory. I think it was the 1890s. The Americans um, uh, colonized the Philippines up to 1946. And that's why um, there is the close relationship today. And I don't know if you know this, but there was, there was a black regiment uh, a regiment of black soldiers based in the Philippines, American black soldiers for a long time. And they brought boxing to the Philippines, believe it or not, Luke. And, uh, and, and you know, of course, the Philippines has their own um, uh, form of martial arts with the Escrima sticks, you know? Um, you've seen those, haven't you? And they fight with the, with, the, with the sticks. But boxing was brought by a lot of these... A lot of these black men trained... A lot of the Filipinos in hand-to-hand in -hand combat and many great boxers were created. There's a very rich fighting tradition in, in the Philippines. And I, and I do genuinely think that they will love the very first UFC event you're taking part in there. I think it'll be an amazing, amazing event. Are you going to come out for it? I would love to come out for it. I'm going to be in... Uh, in Las Vegas till uh, till May the fourth, uh, and I listen, guess. maybe I'll jump on a plane with you and come over there. I, I'm I'm I, I know a lot of people in the Philippines because I've covered Manny's career for ten years, and I, I literally this this is the honest to god truth. Sometimes I've walked to a place um, and where where I don't know, like in Fight Week in in the in in Vegas, and. I've literally been passed by loads of Filipinos who say, oh, hello, Mr. Davis, because they seem to read everything about him that you write. It's extraordinary. Um, listen, if I can get on a plane with you and come over there, I would love to. Well, let's do it. Let's do it. I want let's do it. To give the same, this, this, this quiz that you've given me, thank you for the education. <laughs> yeah. Well, for all those listening, for all those listening around the world, let's get yeah, ready... <laughs> you need to do the same thing. We need to do the same thing with Mark. You need to get him on the podcast and ask him the same five questions. I will. I will. I will before you. Yeah, before you fight. I will. Well, let's hope he doesn't listen to the podcast. I hope he does, but I hope he doesn't. I'm going to give him five different questions about the Philippines. You know. Because I don't want him suddenly getting five out of five and him having a psychological advantage when you guys go into the fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, knowledge on the Philippines is definitely going to give him a psychological advantage. We're <laughs> worried about that during my training camp. <laughs> um, look, um, there's a couple of other things I want to ask you about which are slightly more serious. 
One is, and a kind of, I don't want to go too deeply into this because we're we're well into this, you know, we're we're, we're well into this podcast now, and I and I know that you want to go back to your to your granny surfing or whatever you call it. Um, that there's um, a couple of big incidents since we spoke last, and one is that um, the performance enhancing drug um, process is going to kick in in July. Um, I wanted to get your your take on that. Are you how happy are you, or, or or are you ambivalent to it that that this move is taking place where you'll be randomly tested? And the logistics, I assume, are that you need to tell people where you are all the time. Um, you know, it's a big discussion at the moment, but for me, it's that you know, it, it's a big discussion right now. But for me, words are words and results are results. So I'm interested in seeing what happens because right now I'm not sure it'll make any difference. I think it's uh, unless they really, really clamp down it like they say. I hope they do. But for me, I would be tested every single day. I would tell you where I am. Be tested. It has no problem to me. You know, I don't see it as a problem whatsoever. So I hope yeah. that they do. There's 585 people. Here's my problem with it. There's 585 people on the roster. They say they're going to randomly test everybody throughout the year. Um, but say, I'll give you an example. We just have a new champion, Joanna. Can't say the last name. I'm sure you can. Jed Jedredjik, I think it is. Jedredjik. Oh no, we're allowed to call her Joanna Champion now. By the way, remember? Okay, Joanna Champion. Deal. Um, she. I don't know where she trains. I don't know who she trains with. I, I don't know. I don't know much about her. But she could be one person that could train in the middle of nowhere in Poland. Are they going to send someone to go make sure that she gets tested three, four, five, six times a year to make sure that she's not? You know, are they going to send someone to Chechnya? Are they going to send someone to Russia? Or are they just going to test ATT, uh, where I train at Alliance, people in Las Vegas? Are they, going to, are they going to send people to Tsunami Gym in England to test people that are training there? You know, that's, that's the question for me. So for them saying, yes, we're going to test everybody, um, is great. And everything they've said is great, and I hope they do. If they follow through with it, then great. But I just see the logistics of it to be a problem, and I think it's going to be very, very hard for them to uphold the promises that they're making when it comes to drug testing. Um, and, you know, athletes will try and abuse it. They will try and abuse it. They won't, like you said, they won't tell people where they're training or where they are. They'll try and slip through the net and all that sort of stuff because that's what athletes do. Um, so... I hope, and I, I really, really hope that it works and that that's what they do and everyone gets tested, and I'll be happy to wherever they want to be tested. Um, but right now, I, I'm dubious about the results that it's going to get us. That's very interesting, Luke. And ju- just just for the record here, um, uh, Joanna trains at Arachion MMA, or Arachion MMA under the direction of a multitude of high-profile names from the combat sports world. You'll be interested in this, Luke. Judo and Jiu-Jitsu black belt Simon Bonkowski and BJJ brown belt Robert Drysdale, who's very well known, of course, to a lot of UFC and MMA fighters. It's a very interesting point, Luke. Um, I, I do hope it works. But also, I've got to raise this because one of the things that came to the fore last week, um, a report from the UCI, which is not a lot to do with MMA, but it's the union... Um, Cycling uh, International, uh, the, un- the union of uh, the, 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 the body that, that oversees uh, world cycling. And in their 
I think it was a 273-page report on the on on the sport moving forward and the issues within it. Um, there are there are issues raised about the fact that even on blood passports, and I think we may get there eventually. It's something that I've advocated for a long time, and when I looked at the, some of the details in this report, I actually wondered because I always thought blood passports would be a great solution, where obviously you track someone's blood record over a number of years and you can actually do it retrospectively by taking the blood i think we can go back five years you can take mini micro doses of steroids so that and, and the, what, what the blood passport does checking of the blood passport does it looks for peaks when there you know for peaks in 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 the changes in the blood and there are ways apparently uh scientifically of taking micro amounts of of uh, banned substances, steroids, performance-enhancing drugs, so that the peaks never actually show. And as you just pointed out, you know, or just mentioned, if someone can find an advantage scientifically, they'll bloody well go for it. And it looks like people are still maybe even doing it in cycling. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think Dana even said himself, he said, a lot of the, the athletes, if they're going to fight for a world title, you know, or if they're going to fight at a high-profile now, they're going to risk it, you know, a two-year ban or whatever it is, to make millions and millions of dollars, because at the end of the day, that's, what, that's what's up for grabs, you know, so a lot of the athletes are looking at that and saying, well, I could get banned for a year, I get banned. even if I get caught, I get banned for two years, I would have made a few million, you know, I'm not going to be hurting, so it, that's when it, be money is always the issue, it becomes a problem, people start earning the money, they start employing people to try and figure out the, the problems and solve the problems like you in cycling, they've got these scientists that I mean, who, how do they come to these conclusions, like you just said about the doping in that way? You know, they're, they're really pumping in money into it. And um, it's, it's sad. It's sad that people feel they need to do that to see in the sport. And it's, it's going to be a big problem. It's going, to be, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better, is what I'm trying to say. I um, mm, mm. hope the UFC go, can do everything in their power to make sure people aren't cheating. But at the end of the day, if people want to cheat, they're going to cheat. You know, in some way, in some form. Um, it's going to happen. So I just don't worry about it. I get on with what I'm doing, and you know, I stay clean, and I and I fight as hard as I can fight, and you know, we'll, we'll see what happens because they're they're trying to do as much as they can to help the sport, and I'm I back that 100. percent But I think there's always more that you could do, and it's always comes down to money. I've always joked with you about this, okay, and I'm going to push you for a straight answer here. Because the time comes when the young man leaves the village and he goes through the rite of passage and he becomes a full man and he starts to take on the older warriors in the tribe and he becomes the leader. You're about to fight Mark Munoz in, in Manila. Michael Bisping is now facing CB Dolloway next in Montreal. Could there come a time in the next 12 months where you're deciding to call out Michael Bisping because you can headline in the UK? You know, me and Mike... Uh, we're we're good friends. We've hung out. I've stayed at his house. We've trained together. I trained when he comes back to England. But, you know, I'm sure we would fight if we had to fight. Um, it would be a huge fight for England. And if I beat Mark Munoz, I think I'm one step closer to having a fight like that. Um, obviously, in that sort of situation, it's everything for me to gain and everything for Mike to lose. And I, I don't think it will come to a situation where I'm calling out to fight Mike. I don't think I would ever do that because... You know, he's held the British flag for a long time, and I don't think, I don't think it's right. I don't think it's respectful to do that. But if I was asked to fight Mike, then I would fight him. If I was told to fight him, then I would fight him. If Mike was told to fight me, he would fight me. He's that sort of guy. Um, 
So in the next 12 months, it could happen. He's fighting QB Holloway, as you just said, I'm fighting Mark Winyards. You're moving closer in that sense. If you both, you yeah, know, I'm moving closer. You, I'm yeah. moving closer. If the, if the results come to the right way, I'm moving closer. And you could see a headliner a fight in the UK soon. You know, uh, I would be up to that, and I'm sure Mike would as well. Um, but it's not something I'm going to chase. It's something I'm going to go after. You know, I could be very vocal when I want opponents. I can add up for opponents, talking to Joe. And Mike would be nev- never be a guy that I ask for. Um, but if it happens, it happens. You know, it's one of those situations. Final thing, Luke, um, you know, we're only hours, really. I mean, it's only hours ago that uh, two UFC titles uh, changed hands. Um, we must congratulate Joanna. You've mentioned her already on beating Carla Esparza um, in Dallas, Texas on Saturday night, US time. Um, a, a staggeringly uh, proficient uh, performance in which she dismantled the, the, the strawweight champion who looked extraordinarily good on the tough 20 one series a champion will be crowned um having said that i watched her walk in and i thought wow she's even you know that kind of embrace that an athlete gives their team before they step into the prepping zone that it just looked very fragile even the embrace with the teammates almost as if it was it reminded me of someone who had a broken arm um obviously she hasn't got a broken arm but it would not surprise me if she went into that fight with a, with some kind of quite serious injury. She said afterwards, it's been an exhausting year and she didn't feel right. But nothing about her felt right in that fight. No snap, um, no, no reaction. I know, and that's what I'm saying, I take nothing away from Joanna. Fantastic Muay Thai, incredible jab uh, starting early, great takedown defense. She did nothing wrong. But for me, that was Carla Esparza light in many, many, many ways. Yeah, I mean, I was I was watching the fight. Um, all, all the guys from Team Alliance we all went uh, around to Jeremy Stevens' house and watched it. It was quite a loud environment. We were watching the fights, we were cheering, um, and it was. I wasn't like studying the fights like I normally do when I watch them. It was a bit more of a fun time, so I didn't really pay attention to her walking out or anything like that. Um, but within the actual fight. I think Carla, she said like it's been an exhausting year. I can talk from experience going through the Ultimate Fighter process, having to do the show and then having to watch it on television for six months or whatever, around four months, three months, and then having to fight at the end of it. You know, it, it takes a lot out of you. And that, and that was mid and that was mid December, wasn't it? Remember that she won the title and then all the media work with all of that. So yeah and for her as I was going to say winning the show and, and being a champion it would have been tenfold the pressure tenfold the tiredness tenfold the media you know she would have done a lot um, and a lot of pressure would have been built up on her and I think you have to be a special type of person to be able to deal with that and I don't mean being a champion I mean dealing with the TV stuff and then dealing you know because you really get thrown into it deep you have no experience you have no training you don't know what you're doing and all of a sudden you're on television you've got I have 50,000 people following her on Twitter or whatever it is, probably more, tweeting her questions, you know, all this, uh, just all of a sudden you're this big name in the sport, you're a champion, you know, people expect this from you, expect that from you, want this from you, and you're fighting this hungry, scary Polish girl who doesn't care about any of that stuff, she just wants to knock your head off, um, and I think it might have just go on top of her. And then, in the, like you said, in the performance, Joanna looked incredible, I thought, what she was doing in that fight. Um, she was a six-time world 
New Thai champion, I believe. That's correct. That's correct. kick or knee. I think she just jabbed the head off for the whole fight. Um, you know, it was a very, very impressive performance. And I think Carla, she broke in the fight, I think. I don't know, like you said, she might be fragile going in or whatever, but she did not look like she had before. And after the first couple of takedowns where she wasn't, she wasn't securing the takedown, she didn't get the takedown, you, really, you could really feel change in her. Um, and Joanna did fantastically well and took advantage of it. So, you know, I, I, I think she was... The, the other thing that no one's really mentioned uh, at all, but since, is she's the first ever champion in the UFC to come from Europe. So she's the first ever European champion. Well, no, she's the third, actually. In the UFC? No, we've had, we've had um, Baz Rutan and Andre Orlovsky before. But the first woman, she's obviously the first woman. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, well, we can go, but but you know, I mean, I think Baz Rutan was very much. I, look, in the modern Zufa era, she's the first one. She's the first woman. She's the first one. But I, I mean, I do. I mean, I, this is a debate and a conversation I've had with a lot of people that you can't deny what Baz Rutan did. I mean, you. I, I've even had arguments with people where Andre Olovsky's Belarusian, and you know, it's only in recent times that we've thought of. Belarusia as uh, as part of Europe as well because it used to be very much a part of you know Eastern Europe and Soviet Europe for us but uh, uh-huh. you, you know I mean I think it, it depends how you look at it historically but uh, but like you say in this modern era with Zufa in this in particular era she's the first to do this there's no question about it and I think with, that's quite a special thing especially with the event happening in Poland in four weeks and then we have uh, Joanne Calderwood With you. Joanne Coldworth versus Joanne, the Polish girl, to fight. Joanna Champion. Joanna Champion, sorry. Um, <laughs> no, to, to fight in Scotland. Both very, very good stand up fighters. Um, I think it would be an incredible fight to watch. And, yeah. I, and I really hope that unfolds and happens. You know, I think it would be good for Joanne. I think it would be good for European MMA. Um, and I just, you know, that's something that I would really like to see happen. Yeah, I agree with you. Oh, by the way, another fighter not making weight for this event again. Darren Crookshank, 157.5 pounds. Uh, oh, sorry, 157 he got down to in the end. I don't want to go in depth into this now, but something's got to be done about people not making weight. It just happens too often. Um, Luke, I want to just final thing. Rafael, or Rafael Dos Anjos, the new lightweight champion, the very first, by the way, Brazilian lightweight champion in the UFC, remarkably, 50-45, um, on all three judges' cards, he was like a brick in there against Anthony Pettis, the immovable object. He started fast, he was incredibly relentless, his pressure game... Anthony never recovered from. There was no showtime from the Pettis as the rounds wore on. Dos Anjos, again, thoroughly deserves his accolades for uh, winning the lightweight title. Again, as an underdog in this fight, I think Joanna might have been the favourite, but he was the underdog for this fight. But a lot of people throwing a lot of dust up into the air after this fight perhaps throwing doubt on the veracity of his performance. 
you know, mentioning this, that and the other, uh, grey areas, how clean was he, all these kind of things. We can't really talk about that and say that about him if he hasn't tested positive for anything. He simply fought incredibly well on the night against Anthony Pettis. I mean, absolutely dismantled Pettis. Absolutely. I, uh, no one's, I've never seen Pettis been hit so much, been in so much trouble, um, and have no answer. You know, he just didn't really have an answer for RDA, as people are calling him. And they're trying to make him the new GSP on Twitter because they can't to spell his name. Um, but they, you know, he, he just looked like said, the immovable object, was hunt, hunting him down the whole time, gave Pettis no space, no creative activity, no space, didn't do anything creative or different or new, which we usually see out of Pettis. He just shut him down, was on him constantly for 25 minutes and gave him a good hiding video, really, really good beating. And uh, it was impressive. And like you said, a dust flying up, everyone throwing around the you know, drugs and performing-enhancing drugs, PEDs, they're all talking about it. And I think that's just a flavor of the times. You know, I think people are so sick of, of hearing about it and seeing it and some of you are getting popped for it now. When you see a guy put on a performance like that, it's the first thing that comes to your mind is, is he on PEDs? I said it myself, I thought the same thing. Um, a lot of us in the room were thinking, well, he you know, as long as he doesn't piss hot, then great, unbelievable. But they're sort of waiting. Now you can't congratulate the guy until you wait for the test results. It's, it's quite sad to have that happen. Uh, but do you think that's a hangover from what's happened in recent weeks and in recent months? Yeah, I think I think it's on it's on the tip of everyone's tongue because of what's ha- been happening over the last six months, all the the movement that's happening within the UFC, um, and he, I think he just looked sounds like you said it looked too good. So when someone looks too good now, the first thing people say is, "Well, he's on performance enhancing drugs." Yeah. Well done. You trained your ass off. You're doing incredible and all the rest of it. So we have to like we have to prom- we have to wait a little while until we can congratulate these guys. Um, that's how it seems, uh, and I hope you know I'm. I'm, I'm not saying he has, I don't know, but I hope he hasn't. I hope he, he comes back clean. And then it was an in, incredible performance, one of the best uh, lightweight performances you see in a title fight. I don't think there's been many title fights where the champion has been beaten every single round. But the, f- the funny thing is, Luke, I mean, if you, I mean I've been raving about Rafael for, for ages. I mean, I thought his um, performance against Donald Cerrone, where he took Cerrone at his own game... Um, uh, you know, the Benson Henderson performance, the Nate Diaz performance. And it's only Khabib Nurmagomedov who's really beaten um, Rafael Dos Anjos in the last couple of years. The thing is, Luke, it was still, and we can't take it away from him, it was a staggeringly brilliant performance. We don't want to end on a sour note on this. Yeah, I mean, an absolute stellar performance. You know, he he really showed what you can do to a guy like Pettis, like just by pressuring him, taking away his creativity and, and putting it on him constantly. That was really, really impressive. And, you know, we have a new champion and I think he's a champion to be proud of with, with how he's come back from being 0-2 in the UFC when he started, they go going 4-4. Now he's he's a champion, you know, he's, he's really shown the hard work of big talent if you keep it going and you work as hard as you can. You know, I think, uh, I think that's what it shows. The Pettis is a, Creative genius and a very, very talented fighter. I think Desanyos uh, just worked harder and been working harder over the few last few years and got some great wins, and now he's the champ. You mentioned earlier he was 0 and 2 in his UFC career, or 2 and 2. He was 4 and 4 in his career to begin with. Crazy, I mean, because it just shows in this sport and mixed martial arts, if 
and and you might say the same in a way he hasn't he's had an up and down time of it in the last couple of years I know you wanted to mention Ross Pearson's performance on Saturday night yeah obviously a, a countryman of mine and now a teammate of mine for training at the Alliance Training Centre here in San Diego uh, Ross Pearson had a phenomenal performance uh, phenomenal outing against Sam Stout finishing with a performance of the night bonus and uh, knocking him out with that incredible left hook I mean when you talk, we were talking about boxing earlier with Manny Pacquiao and the way he ducked under that punch and landed that left. It was coming for him for the whole night, but then he finally he let it go perfectly. And I don't think he's going to get a better knockout than that one. Look, when Ross puts it together, he's as good a striker that you've ever seen anywhere in mixed martial arts. He's got... He, he, he really knows that he's capable. He, his kickboxing and, and striking, his boxing have always been very strong. He, he's confident about uh, being in the pocket there. And... Uh, he slowly, for me, worked his way into Sam Stout. You know all three judges gave him the first round as well, by the way. I don't know if you know that. No, I didn't know that, but I would have agreed with that. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Well, great stuff for Ross. Great from you as well, the giant of the Philippines. Um, it, it's been great catching up with you, Luke. I just hope you have a great training camp now. Fingers crossed, no injuries. And um, can't wait to see you in action against Mark Munoz in the Philippines and maybe if we can make it work I'll be flying out there with you let's do it Gav always good to catch up with you and um, I think this is a great chat and uh, it's always good to talk and I'm sure we'll do it again soon that's Luke Barnett you've been listening to this week's World Podcast with me Gareth A. Davis I'll be back next week 